I just feel the burden of the Lord uh, for us to think deeply about what is, the, what, are, what is the main story or the narrative? What is the main, uh, what is the main thing that is shaping our lives right now? And, and just shout out to me, what are some common things that shape people? Trials, moving, social media, like that, that's what I'm getting for, like politics, what th- things that shape people, what they like, what they love, what they hate, what they're into, sports, media. How many think there's a plethora of things that shape people? How many know you are being shaped right now, whether you intentionally think you are or you aren't? Every person in this room, one theologian says it like this, every person is a disciple, a student under a master that they're being formed into the image of it. The only one who leads to full and flourishing life is to be patterned and to be, to be formed into the image of King Jesus, who is himself life everlasting. So the question isn't, what am I, am I being formed? The question is, what is forming me? Turn to your neighbor right now and say, what is forming you? So there is this phrase that just jumped off the page. By the way, who, who dabbled in the book of Acts this week, just by way of accountability? Anyone from last week? Okay, five of you. Praise God. Read the book of Acts this week again then. At the end of this service, I have some new prompts. And when I tell you to do things, it's not because I'm your boss, but it is fun. Uh, it is fun if we try to do something on occasion together because it just creates a common language. And so maybe if you didn't get through the book of Acts, a chapter or two, Maybe read that this week, because this week I'm going to tell you to read the book of Romans, which is 16 chapters instead of 28, so it should be no problem. But I was reading, so I finished the book of Acts last week. My family and I got away to Goleta to celebrate Tristan's 55th birthday. I'm totally kidding. He's so young. He's like 39. Are you 38? He's 39. So we, we drove all the way down, to, all the way down. I'm not complaining, because I know many of you drive every week, multiple times a week. But he, he, we went, uh, I should have had some photos, but it might have been inappropriate or made you gag. Me in a wetsuit and my daughter. That's what I wanted to show because how cute she was. But we went down to celebrate Brother Tristan's birthday at Refugio Beach, which is about an hour and 10 away. And I felt the spirit of revelation hit me in the kitchen. I'm like, why don't we just get a hotel that's like 20 minutes from there and like turn it into a little one-day getaway? That was overstating. I don't know if that was the spirit of revelation, but it turned out to be amazing. So we stayed in Goleta at a beautiful hotel, got some great pizza and Mexican food for my wife and I, pizza for the kids. The swimming pool was awesome, the hot tub. But that night I had a hard time sleeping. So I got up, I finished Acts 17 through 28. I'm not bragging. I just got caught up in the storyline. Like, oh, this is amazing how Paul says anything is worth it if the gospel advances. No matter the trials, tribulations. So I'm just swept up. It's like one or two in the morning. I have a flashlight through a white t-shirt so none of the kids wake up. Or my wife, she comes in like, babe, are you okay? Because of the journey I've been walking through this year. And I'm like, I'm good. I'm just caught up in the story right now. And then I proceeded to, if you, after the book of Acts is the book of Romans. So I finished Acts and it's like one, two in the morning. I'm like, I'm just going to read Romans. I didn't read all of Romans for the record, but I, I made it through several chapters and then I finished it this last week. But as I read the book of Romans, and this is why I'm such a fan of Bible reading for 50 reasons, but because God wants to speak to you. Principally, God is a communicator, and how are you and I going to become familiar with his voice if we don't become familiar with this book? All in favor, say aye. So I don't care if it's audio version. I don't care if it's what you listen to on your drive to work. My point is get the word open and let the word open you and get the word inside of you. 
We've got to know what is forming us. And there's only one true story that is the mega meta story that every other story tries to pull from and manipulate. But why settle for a cheap, crummy counterfeit when you can be formed by the real story of the gospel? This is good preaching so far. Okay, so there's a phrase that just slayed me this week. I mean, it just jumped out. And I'm like, that's what I want to talk about Sunday. And it wasn't because I was sermon prepping. I was just devotionally reading, talking to God as I'm reading. And this phrase struck me. In Romans chapter 6, but thanks be to God. Let's actually read it on the screen together, all together. One, two, three. But thanks be to God. I'm sorry, I lost it in my Bible. Try it again. Here we go. I was trying to do it here because it's too, too small on my phone. Okay, one, two, three, go. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Oh, that phrase. You've come to obey from your heart. And this is the weirdest phrase, a pattern of teaching that is claimed in the Greek. It's literally, it's laid hold of your life. When you heard the gospel, you were not an innocent spectator, you were enslaved to sin under the tyranny of the fathership of the devil whose only chief native language is to lie. And his agenda is only to steal, kill, and destroy. You didn't know that. You wouldn't have known to name it that, but it's true. We're a slave to whatever the thing we have as ultimate in our life. We are, we are serving that thing, whether it's your career, your good looks, or not so good looks, or whatever. Uh, that was irrelevant. I, I don't know how you feel about yourself, but whatever the thing that you're trying to fix and whatever the thing that holds this, the principal place in your heart, that's your master. And so when I was reading this this week, and Paul's obviously made an argument for six and a half chapters. This, I read it in sequence and in context, but I was like, oh my goodness, what is that pattern of teaching? What, what is, what it, for believers who just as easily as unbelievers can be formed by other stories, just like unbelievers, if we're honest, can we say amen? Any of us can be formed by counterfeits. I am so zealous in this hour to ask the question, as the church that I pastor and the people that I'm doing kingdom life with, what is forming us? What is the thing that has laid hold of us and that is ultimately shaping our hearts, our minds, our lives, what we do with our time, treasure, talent, and the like? How many would say, just by saying amen, that this is a good noble question to ask, what is forming us and what has laid hold of us? And so the Greek word used here is, is tupos for, for pattern. Everyone say tupos, not tupac. Okay, I had, that wasn't even funny, but I, okay. And so, so obviously the Bible is not written in English. The Bible was written in Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. So Paul's writing in Greek, or, or to, 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 who is the guy who wrote it for him? His name was in uh, uh, Tertius. <laughs> what a name. Sorry, my kids would have thought that was funny. No one got it. Verse 22 of Romans 16, Tertius. So he's writing the letter for Paul. So they're writing in Greek, their language. And so the word for pattern is tupos. And I did a deep dive word study, which I'm going to share some gleanings of this. What does this mean to be pattern? What is this pattern? But here's what it means. Look how dynamic this is. The tupos suggests the gospel stamps. Everyone say stamps a new set of standards on the heart of people who respond to the gospel. New covenant obedience comes, 
or stems from transformed hearts. So when he says tupas, this pattern of teaching that has seized your hearts, the gospel's rescued you from sin, you have been stamped and you have the capacity, I, I say capacity on purpose, and I'm not mixing words, you have the capacity to be formed the rest of your life by the truest true story. Amen. You and I actually have a choice by the grace of God to be formed by the true story of Jesus and his kingdom, and he's coming to consummate. He's coming again, not to die, but to bring justice and judgment and to bring the new heavens and the new earth. We can, our whole life, choose to come out of all the other patterns, all the other things that are trying to stamp us. The other connotation of the word is a mold. A mold. What what happens when you put a mold over a piece of Play-Doh? The Play-Doh looks like the... Come on, somebody. I'm trying to relate to the audience here. That's what Tupas is. Something came over your life, and you have, the, you have the opportunity in the grace of God to let that mold totally shape you all the way down and all the way through. How many believe, in part, in this room, you've been shaped by the gospel? How many believe you've been shaped by other things that you need to bring under the lordship of Jesus and let that mold kind of, you missed a spot. <clears throat> Come on. Okay, I love this idea. So here, here, here's a great way Paul writes it to the Ephesians. So I tell you this and insist on in the Lord that you must no longer live. When we think tupas, pattern of teaching, we're not just talking head knowledge. We're talking about those things that actually form our real life. We don't take Jesus serious enough. We think Jesus just wants to form our spiritual life, but then we'll take care of the seven-eighths of the other part of our life. I want you to know that is a recipe for death, disaster, and a super boring, discouraged Christianity. Can I get an amen? Christ wants to form all of it because Christ is Lord over all of it. Okay. Don't live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding, separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, so they've been formed by a different story, their appetites, their affections are being manipulated and coerced and hijacked by the enemy in the works of sin. See that? But they lost all sensitivity They've given themselves over to sensuality to indulge in every kind of impurity in a continual lust for more, the version I memorized, or full of greed. So he's saying to the Gentiles who haven't responded to the gospel, they're being formed, but it's not leading to life. Their, their minds are darkened. They're, it's cloudy. They're not really experiencing the life as God designed it. And we see this all around us. People who are being formed by different stories, and they think the only way to get at the end of that telos, the end of that rainbow, is more of this or more of that or less of this. And Paul, then look, look what Paul says. That, however, say that with me, that, however, is not the way of life you learn. That's what we're getting at with pattern. It's a way of life. The way of life that you learn when you heard about Christ and you were taught in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. Let's read 22 through 4 together. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Live out of the old self, patterned after old stories, old habits, old lusts, old flesh. Your mind doesn't get sharper, it gets dimmer and duller. Your heart, you lose sensitivity to what actually brings life and hope and vibrancy. Paul is like, the way of life, you're in Christ. The pattern you were, you, were, you were given was the pattern of Jesus Christ himself. As he is, so are we to be and become in this world. So that, again, 
just to unpack that word tubos, because that's kind of the whole hinge point of this sermon. It, it re- literally means a prototype or a pattern. A pattern or a model after which something is to be made or an example to be imitated and followed. So to read the verse again, now that you know what that pattern word means, now let the Holy Spirit just bring greater clarity even as we transition here. Thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the tupas, the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. This pattern of teaching literally means you've been handed over from one, you've been transferred of a slave from one master to another, which is the perfect appropriate image for this paragraph. So when, when, you, were, when you, were un, you didn't respond to the gospel yet, you didn't put your faith in Jesus, you were literally a slave, as Paul says in, in Romans 6 earlier, you were a slave to sin, and who is the father of all sin? The enemy. But when you came into Christ, the, 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 the title and deed over your life, which sounds, you, us modern people, we don't believe it, we believe in autonomy, and, but everyone is a slave to their appetites and habits. You don't I, I, it's, it's a moot point. <laughs> uh, Charles Spurgeon said, I've never met a free man. I've only met a man who was either a slave of God or a slave of the enemy. But the, the, the lie that I'm just doing whatever I want, no, something is forming your life. Something is, has your heart's allegiance. And I love the language of pattern that you've been, that's claimed your allegiance when you put your faith in Christ. One of the greatest things that Jesus did for us is he brought us under the governance and goodness of his father. Now the stamp over our life is Jesus, his love and his goodness. Isn't this cool? Okay. Yes, it's cool, Chad. Awesome. I'm using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. Thank you for writing that, Paul, the apostle. Thank you for acknowledging those of us who read your letters for 2,000 years have limitations. Can you say amen? <laughs> Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity, to ever-increasing wickedness, now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things that you're now ashamed of? Those things resulted in death, but now, read this verse 22 with me, now you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. What's the benefit of being transferred from ownership from the enemy to now the Father is the owner of your heart and life through the blood of Jesus? What's the benefit? Let me read it. The benefit you reap leads to holiness. And why is that good? And the result is, say it with me, eternal life. So you're an enemy, you're you're under the enemy's ownership. The wages of that life and lifestyle are death. You respond to Christ, you've been patterned, you've been stamped, you've been marked. There's a mold that the Holy Spirit wants to put over every single spirit-filled adopted believer and that If you let that mold have its way, it's not life is diminished and now I can't have fun. It's this ever-expansive, dynamic reality. And the end of that road is holiness, which is a life fully alive, pure and radiant, bright and brilliant and beautiful, pure and undefiled and unashamed, where who you are in secret is who you are in public. That's what every human longs for, by the way. We long for continuity. We long for integrity. Can I get an amen? We actually long that in our worst moment or in our best, that when someone saw us in the grace of God, they'd see the same person. We long for that from the garden. We've longed for that. And what Paul is saying is that in Christ, that life and lifestyle is actually possible if you let that reality mold your life. 
For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. I'm going to skip that slide, not because it's not good. It's so good, but I want to get on. I want to move on. So what is this pattern that is shaped for Paul and the early church and throughout the ages? Besides the answer being Jesus, the gospel pattern. So here's how Paul begins. So this, this is irrefutably Paul's, who wrote thir- at least 13 books of the New Testament by the Holy Spirit. Romans is considered his, his uh, magnum opus. It's his greatest work of theology by, by the Spirit of God, where he unpacks the dynamics of who Jesus is, the gospel. But look how he starts his gospel, how he starts his letter. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, You've heard this or you've seen it on a t-shirt or on a sign outside with someone with a bullhorn. That's supposed to be a joke. No one's ever, if anyone's ever ran a marathon, they're everywhere. It's awesome. There's always people out there preaching the gospel to thousands who run by and are just trying to not die. And bear, like, okay. Sorry, I just remember in LA, I'd see there's several like street preachers and I'm like, I love Jesus too, but I need him to help me. I'm going to die. Mile 17 was a bear. Comedy relief, everyone feel that, the grace of God, okay. <clears throat> I am not ashamed of the gospel because why? It is the power of God. Say it with me, the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. So he begins his letter this whole letter is unpacking the message that I'm, I'm that the message that has power attached to it, that transforms and saves people's lives. This is how he opens his letter, and look how he ends his letter. In Romans 16, very last paragraph. Now to him who is able to say it with me, establish you in accordance with my gospel, the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ. All that we find in between Romans 1 to Romans 16 are for Paul the gospel pattern. Chad, that's obvious. Okay, it wasn't obvious to me. I had, the Lord had to show me, like, okay, what's the pattern? Because I'm, like, reaching for other passages. I'm studying. If he says there's a pattern that the early church adopted and that believers throughout every generation have lived out of, what is that pattern? And Paul's like, let me give you a hint. I start with the gospel, and I'm ending with the gospel, and all in between is the teaching that's meant to form your life. All in favor, say aye. How I start and how I ended. The whole letter is the pattern that I'm pressing on the church that I want the church to live out of. Does that make sense? Okay, it makes sense. I think it makes sense. Help me out. It makes sense. So for Paul, the gospel is the stamp over every single son or daughter of God. Thank you, honey. The kids' ministry, for those online, are right through that door. My wife just said, God is holy, and I said, amen. For Paul and every faithful minister of Jesus since, the pattern of teaching that has established people is the gospel life and lifestyle. Just a cheat sheet. Here's my cheat sheet. What is the gospel? It means living in light of who Jesus is. The gospel reveals a person, amen, and what that person has done and the power that came with his work. What Jesus, who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, who we are because of Jesus. How many are thankful for that one? A transformation. Joining in what Jesus is currently doing and then living with unshakable hope in what Jesus will do at the end of the age. So it's past, so it's person, who Jesus is, what he's done, 
present, who I am because of him. Present, what is he doing? How do I get to participate and join? And future, what he will do at the end of the age. How many believe the gospel encompasses all of those beautiful dynamic realities? And that's what's meant to press over us and mold us as the people of God. Chad, I already know that, dude. I graduated from the gospel. Eh, Wrong answer. We never graduate from the gospel. Every single day, you are trying to be formed by what you're watching, listening to, whatever. And the, 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 the perpetual message from heaven that he invites believers, disciples of Christ, to like come back to is the gospel story. Who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, who you are because of Jesus, what Jesus is currently doing, you get to join, and then what Jesus promises to do at the end of the age and to bring new creation to bear. How many need that story every day? Because life's hard, I'm distracted, look, squirrel, right? I mean, I need to be formed by this epic story. I need to be, okay, that was a reference to Up, I think, that beautiful Pixar movie. Praise God. This is what it means to be established in the gospel. So the gospel is not what we give unbelievers only. The gospel is what we give each other when we forget who we are. The gospel is what we speak to each other when, we're, when, we, when, when we relight flames of the flesh and we allow sin or habits come back in our life that's stealing our affection for Jesus. We go to that person and we don't give them a new message. We say, don't forget what God has done through Jesus and who you are because of him. The gospel is for the entirety of our life because forever the enemy is trying to sow seeds of discord, deceit, just buy into a little bit of that lie. Just cool off, erase that part of the Bible. Just be a little more palpable. And the remedy from heaven for every one of those poles and lures and temptations is the gospel that God has stamped over the hearts, minds, and lives of his people. This is what it means to be established. How many believe this takes effort? You mean, Chad, I can't just like sit idly by? The word idle is a key giveaway. Idly by and just hope God just like, you know, I'm good, I'm fine. No, it takes active participation in the grace of God. John called it abiding active participation in the truth of who Jesus is and who we are because of him. So I'm going to preach the book of Romans. It's only 1023. I'm going to preach 16 chapters in five minutes, and then we're going to be done. Time me. I wish I would have actually practiced how long it was, but because I want to just give you a perusal. I want you to go deep this week. Oh, that was a good one. Say it with me. I'm going to go deep this week, but I'm going to give you a, I hope it wets your palate. And what I'm going to do to save time, I'm not going to give you references, but everything I'm going to say, the next five slides, are direct, big ideas through the book of Romans. This is what I did in, in private, my own journal, because I, I love the Bible. I literally was like, what's the pattern? Oh, Romans 1, Romans 16. The pattern is all in between. And just from my heart, as an exercise of devotion, I wrote what I knew were key themes, because I just read Romans, so it was fresh in my heart, and that's how I'm wired. And I love this stuff. And all I did was just write one sentence to just capture big ideas of what does it mean? What's this pattern that shapes us? Ready? The pattern. Okay, first of all, the gospel is the revelation of a person, like I already described, that Jesus is God's Messiah. He's David's royal heir to the everlasting throne, and he's God's resurrected son. The gospel, this pattern, is the revelation of God's righteousness that he's revealed through the gospel. What is righteousness? It is not just right behavior, although it is that. When God saw that there was no one righteous, he intervened himself and he made right what was perpetually and eternally wrong apart from his direct intervention and power. How many are thankful for the righteousness of God? No one was righteous. Just go watch the kids in nursery. Me, my, and no. 
three words no one has to teach us. Right? Because I was born in sin. I was born selfish. So the righteousness of God is revealed through the gospel. Number three, the revelation of the wrath of God against humans, both Gentiles and Jews, those who are from the covenant people of God and those who are outside of the covenant family. I love Romans 1. Someday I'm going to preach the whole passage because it's too good. Maybe we'll kick off a series in Romans. I don't know. I'm nervous because it's a massive undertaking. Praise God. But I love Romans 1. I don't love it, actually, because I'm condemned by it, apart from Jesus. He, the, verse 18, the wrath of God is revealed, his judgment against sinful people. And he lists like 25 sins. And the Jewish people are like, ha ha, he's talking about Gentiles. That's all of chapter 1. You're filthy, you're dirty, you hate your parents, you're disobedient, you're unloving, you're, you're sexual, or your, your whole identity is wrapped up and morphed because of sin. And he just, he just rail, he just wants to paint this picture of what, what humans deserve God's judgment. And then he goes over to chapter two, and the Jews are like, we're good. He's talking about the Gentiles. We got the covenants. We got the promise. You know, Abraham's our father. And he's like, you Jews who have the law, the thing you condemn in others, you're doing those exact sins in secret. As the Jewish people are like, oh, crud, we're under the wrath of God too. I mean, yes, we have a little leg up called the patriarchs, the promises, the prophets, the passages of scripture. It was very beneficial to be Jewish. They were the literally the posterity of Jesus, he's a Jewish man. So they even have like lineage claims. But Paul, in his brilliance, he sets him up. Oh yeah, those Gentiles, filthy sinners, Romans 1. Oh yeah, the Jews who have the law, prophets, and promises but never been able to obey the law. Oh, we're, we're with them. This is the context of Romans 3.23 that everyone's heard. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's Paul's mega argument for four and a half chapters in his brilliant way. He's so smart. I love them. Okay, hurry, five minutes. So in light of all of, I just did three chapters in three minutes, so I get an extra time, okay? So, and, I, and I'm not even getting to touch on it because I'm doing a perusal, so I'm going to have to stop and move on. So all in favor, say aye. We understand all three chapters, all have sinned. There's no one righteous in their own merit when they stand before God. And all of us deserve the weighty judgment and justice of God. And then comes Romans 3, 23 and 4. But at just the right time, God presented his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins so that through his righteous act alone, if we trust in him, all of the wrath that we deserved was placed on the innocent, sinless shoulders of the Savior. And by trusting in him, we are justified. Everyone say justified. It's a fancy phrase that literally means we have a declaration spoken over our life, not guilty. Oh, come on, someone say amen. Not guilty. Not only not guilty of all the sins you've committed your whole life, but now you are righteous in and through my son. How many know getting the not guilty edict or verdict is a good, but it's not all that there is. Not only are you not guilty, you are now made righteous through the righteousness that is from without you that Jesus Christ alone embodied and made available to the whole world. Come on. So you could spend your whole life trying to rule keep memorize 50,000 chapters of the Bible, try to be religiously zealous and be as filthy of a sinner as before you even tried. Nothing you do or I do makes us righteous. Only one makes us righteous, and that man is Jesus Christ. And I just bring all of my sin, all of my baggage, all my good, bad, and ugly, and I say, Jesus, here's my offering. It's not much. He's like, it's okay, I'll take it. Because all I wanted at the end of the day was your heart anyway and your allegiance. Let me give you my righteousness. Come on, somebody. Oh, I'm happy. So then he's, okay, I skipped all that slide. I didn't get to it, but leave it alone. 
So when we're, when we're, when we're declared righteous or justified, he makes us pure and, and white and cleanses us. We are now in a new realm called the realm and reign of grace. And let me tell you about the realm and reign of grace. It's not just pardon for your sin. It's power to overcome your sin. Come on, someone say it's pardon and power. So now the oxygen we're breathing is no longer, I'm trying to please God in my own strength. I just hope he likes me and accepts me. How many know that's suffocating? Did I do good on the suffocating? Now that I'm in Christ, I'm standing in grace, Romans 5, 1 through 2. I have peace with God through Jesus Christ. I am justified, declared innocent, and made righteous because of what Jesus did for me. Now, in that reality called righteousness, the air that I breathe is grace. His favor and his fire, his fervor, his pardon, his power, his very presence that now enables me to live as a new creation. Come on, someone say, thank you, Jesus, for your grace. We are dead to sin when we are buried with Christ in baptism. We are raised alive in new life through Jesus. Now we are instruments not of wickedness contributing to anti-shalom in the world. We're instruments that the Father can wield to bring about his righteous purposes. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're an instrument that's either bringing life or death, but you can bring life. We're no longer slaves leading to sin, but slaves of righteousness. We have a new owner, a new master called King Jesus. The enemy's no longer our father, the father of fear, the father of lives. God is our Abba Father, and we belong to him. Okay, water, be careful. Why is it so good to belong to the Father? Jesus paints this so helpfully for us in John chapter 10. When you're in the Father's hands, 28 through 30, his hands are so strong that no one can take you out of the grasp of the Father's hands. Come on. No one. Not sin, not the enemy, not whatever. You have to choose because he honors our agency and our, our free will. You have to choose, say, Father, I reject you. But even then, he's waiting on his heavenly front porch because he knows eventually you'll get sick of the slop and the pig pen. And when he sees you crest the hill, he's on a sprint to restore you to what was rightfully yours in the gospel. You wanted something else, but he'll just, he'll just he wants you. Come on, someone. This is the Father that we get to call Abba. Come on, he disciplines us, not when he's grumpy and mean, but consistently. Why? Because he just wants that mold of the gospel, that pattern, that tupas. He wants it to have its full way. And so he's, he's never going to change the dial. Guys, that's not going to add life. Guys, that habit, that, that, that snare, that thing, the Father is so faithful that we get to say, Abba, but he'll look at us with his loving eyes through his son, whose eyes are like fire. He'll pierce through all of our games, all of our duplicity, and he'll always be honest with us because the truth alone will set us free and keep us free. How many are thankful for that kind of father? He's not checked out, not too busy. He's faithful. Woo! Hallelujah. We are now, this is now I'm in Romans 7. We're almost halfway through of a long, huge 16-chapter book. Say amen. We are now legally bound to another from the law of sin and death to now Christ. And we get to serve God in the newness of life. What else is cool about this pattern that we're supposed to live out of? There's no condemnation if you're in Jesus. How many struggle with the sense of being condemned? Raise your hand. Or not good enough, or measure up. I'm trying to illustrate a point. I think every hand should be raised. I'm just, I'm trying to coerce you. Why do we need to gospel each other? Not just when we come to faith, but when we're in the faith, to be established in the faith, to grow in the faith, and to share the faith, because the enemy's relentless to accuse us and to bring up our past that's under the blood of Jesus. We need the body of Christ to look at each other in the eye and say, you're not condemned for that anymore. You're new in Jesus. 
How many need that in their life? Someone to just take you by the jaws. Is this the jaws? The jaw? The jaw? The jaw? The jowls, thank you. I was looking for that, Australia. We need people to take us sometimes when our heads are down and our shoulders are slumped and we're walking in condemnation because we're struggling. We need to lift our countenance and say, look to Jesus again. There's freedom in his name. You're not condemned, brother or sister. You're not a slave to what's bound you. Maybe you're in a difficult season. Maybe you're bored with your faith and you're opening the door to a thousand lesser loves and lusts. But let's shut those doors together and get on following Jesus. This is why we need each other. Is anyone hearing me? I know this is awesome. This is intense. This is good, though. This is the gospel. This is what's molding us. It's what's supposed to be molding us, by the way. It's what's supposed to. It's the pattern. It's the tupos. It's the thing that Jesus wants us to be so formed by that the moment we whiff another narrative or story that's pulling us, we're like, nope, that's a cheap counterfeit. I'd rather be formed by Jesus and the gospel. Thank you, but no thank you. We are now governed, now we're in Romans 8. We're over halfway. We're governed by the mind of the Spirit, which is life and peace. We have the Abba cry. I get to skip this. We share in the exact calling of Jesus because he calls us a co-heir. What is his inheritance? We get to share in it forever. I think that's cool. When we don't know what to pray, anyone ever been there? All of us. The Holy Spirit prays through us if we'll let him. And when the Spirit prays, what happens? He always prays in accordance with the will of God. Come on, somebody. We, have, we are more, read it with me, we are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ, who is our living intercessor at the right hand of God. Chad, what are you talking about? I'm talking about the pattern, the whole book of Romans. This is what's molding us. So when I'm walking through something and I'm experiencing defeat, what does the body of Christ, what does a true friend come around and tell me? I know that's really hard and you're just never going to get through it. What does a true believer who's going to gospel me do? You're more than a conqueror. Don't lose heart. Don't lose faith. I'm going to contend with you until that thing shifts or breaks off in your life. Do you see how this works out in real life? We have to do this for each other. This is the pattern. You're more than a conqueror. How many have ever needed to hear that, even this last week when you faced a trial? You wish someone would have just reminded you of the truth that pat- you're patterning your life after. No, I know that was hard. I, don't, I know you suffered. He told us we would share in his suffering, by the way, so it doesn't take him by surprise. I know it's hard. He told us in this life you'll have trials, but I've overcome the whole world. John 16, Don't lose heart. You're more than a conqueror. Who can you call this week to say, brother or sister, that you know is going through difficult, to say you're more than a conqueror in Jesus? You can't lose if you're in Christ. <sighs> Nothing can separate us from the love of God. That's how Romans 8, it's the best passage in the whole Bible. Neither height nor depth nor width or link, angels or demon, life or death, present or future. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. Everyone wants love, but the love of God is found in a person, the person of Jesus. That's why love is not love. Many times what we call love is just lust. The love of God is revealed through a person, the person of Jesus Christ. And nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. That's how Romans 8 ends. It's so powerful. It's Jesus. It's not love as I design it or thank it or feel it. It's love that looks like a bloody Jewish man who is this only sinless human to ever live who said, I'll willingly take your penalty and punishment so that you can experience the life I've experienced for all eternity, but I want to bring all of my creation back in on. That's love. That's what love is. Okay, okay, here we go. Woo! Oh, that was good. I got the holy bumps on that one. Israel is, okay, so 
Oh, I just want to stop right there. That's love. Oh, this is what's patterning our life. Remember, the whole sermon hinged on that one phrase, the tupas, the pattern, the mold, the stamp, the prototype and pattern. And what is meant to form us, everything I'm saying? The gospel, the truth of God's word. And how many could just right now, I've only made it through half of Romans, barely, you could take one of those sentences and apply it to your life right now, that you need to believe tr- the, the, the truer truth about your life, the truth of the gospel. How many could take one of these in- prompts or encouragements and call somebody or text someone that you know is facing something and you need to remind them you're more than a conqueror? Someone that you know that's maybe struggling in their faith and they feel condemned, you need to remind them there's no condemnation in Christ. Wake up. Wake up. Someone who's double-minded and you see him just like, they're, they're like, they're, they're, they've opened their heart, their mind, and their life to the sewer of sin. You need to remind them you're no longer a slave to that. You're a slave of God and his righteousness. Say no to that. Just resist the enemy. He'll flee from you, James 4, 6. Submit yourselves to God. Cleanse your heart, double-minded. Purif- purify your heart. Double-minded. Clean your hands. God is, he's, okay, praise God. Yeah. Just help each other. Israel has experienced the hardening of the heart. I don't want to rush through this part, so I'm going to skip this, but Romans, the rest of Romans is really good, but I just, I I feel it. I I want us to respond here. I want to read this last part. This gospel is God. I love this. Okay, I love all of it for the record, but I just wanted to skip those things because we'll do it later next week. Only by bowing the knee, this is a commentator. This is someone that I studied. I just ripped it off. Only by bowing the knee to God can a person become what God originally intended for that person to be? Righteous, which means conformed to God's standard or pattern of behavior, and holy, living in a way that is God-centered and world-renouncing. And the outcome of these, say it with me, is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So just by way of memory, I wrote this. I guess I should have just gone to this slide because this is the whole book of Romans, basically. In one slide, I forgot I made it. So what is the story we're living out of? First three chapters, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory. We have no hope. That's the, that's the first bullet point that's not there. We were, we were under his wrath. We deserved his judgment and punishment. We couldn't make ourselves clean, but because of what Jesus did, everyone say, but because of Jesus. Yes. We are justified by his grace through faith. We stand in grace that reigns in righteousness. We're now instruments of righteousness, slaves of righteousness. These are all direct quotes from the Romans. We're set free from the law of sin and death. Our minds are governed by the Holy Spirit, which means life and peace. We're adopted royal sons and daughters of God and our Abba, of our Abba Father. We are more than conquerors through Christ. We are messengers sent to proclaim the gospel, Romans 10. We are renewed minds, Romans 12, patterned after Christ and his kingdom. We're overcomers of evil, Romans 12, with doing good. We're clothed with Christ, Romans 13, 12 through 14. And we're now a sanctified offering to the Lord, Romans 15. How many think this is a pretty sweet stamp to be stamped over our hearts and minds? This is a pretty cool to live out of this new identity and this new community with new power and a new kingdom mission. Do you believe that's true of you today? Just pause. And I want to speak the truth over you. If you're in Christ, these are true of you. Even if you can't articulate it, that's why you need to get language. Get in the word. 
You'll be able to articulate it if you become a student of this. I want to speak the truth that this is the pattern that God wants his church formed by. The pattern of teaching that I love the language. It's claimed your allegiance. It's grabbed a hold of you. And now if you let the grace of God have his way, you and I can become increasingly, until we see his face and it's done, we can increasingly emanate his love. And how many want that in the hour in which we live, that when people see us, they see him. They see Jesus. In closing, what is stamped over your heart? What is stamped over your heart? Ask, just think right now, as we, I do these few questions, what is stamped over your heart? Are you shaped and molded by the gospel? We got through half of Romans 8, through Romans 1 through 8. Or are you being shaped by a counterfeit story today? Does Christ have the place of ultimate allegiance in your heart or some other master or ruler? And I just have to ask this because I don't want to assume it. Are you set free from sin and are you standing, walking, and living in the grace that reigns in righteousness? And I want to just declare the truth. If that's not true of you, it can be true of you today by the grace of God. How do you need to respond? How many today would say, Chad, if you've already put your faith in Jesus, guess what? Your whole assignment the rest of your life until you see Jesus is to keep trusting in Jesus. Amen? Keep trusting. Keep faithing. Keep abiding. Keep, keep basking in his goodness and glory. But if you say, Chad, today, I want to I make public testimony. I want the gospel. You barely touched on it, Chad. I know I barely touched on it. But I want the truth this pattern of teaching to stamp my life and to claim my heart's allegiance. If that's you, can you just stand? I want to pray over us and for us this morning. Just a fresh consecration to the grace of God. You want Jesus to stamp your heart in his grace and his love this morning.